0: we're in First Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're not there already, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have two verses, 14 and 15. Might not seem like much, but oh my goodness, oh my goodness, does the Lord have a word for us. I said this last night, I'll say it again. Today's going to be a day that one of two things is going to happen first one, you're going to be glad you're here for this message. The second one is you're going to wish you weren't. And I posit this, that either one works for me, right? Because if you wish you weren't, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And if you're glad you're here, that's also the Holy Spirit affirming some things in your life. Amen? So let's let God do his work through his word. Let's read our two verses, church. Verses 14 and 15 out of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. If you recall. There's two letters written to the Thessalonian church, the first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians. And I'm saying that because it's a letter written to a church. It's a letter written to men and women of God. It's a letter written to you, not to pastors, to the congregation. It's written to the church, okay? Verse 14, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy say this, as they continue in this letter, we We urge you, brethren, we urge you, four things. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That's a full-time job. Verse 15, see, he's talking to you, talking to me, all of us as the church. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Okay. Anybody ever play Scrabble? I'm not good at Scrabble. I'm not good at word games. I know how to spell. I'm just not good at word games. Too much pressure. Scrabble is a challenging game. It involves the bringing together of letters to form words. Although at first glance, this might seem like an easy game. There's only 26 letters in the English alphabet. But these letters come together to form enough words to fill the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Library of Congress, and the World Wide Web. There's lots of options with those letters. The game of Scrabble involves the ordering of items that originally have no implicit order. The words already exist, but the letters must be arranged a certain way to be made into words. The goal of the game is for players to set out letters so that they now make sense. Christians are to live their lives in a way that their actions come together to form the picture of salvation. See, salvation's already there. That gift is already there, just like those words are already there. So for the Christian, that salvation's there. And the goal of living the Christian life is to arrange our lifestyle so that it looks like the existence of a person saved by grace. You get that? The title of our message is, "Our Conduct clarifies." Our conduct clarifies who we are. Our conduct clarifies if we truly are Christians or if we're not Christians. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for saving us, Lord, for sure. Where would we be without your salvation, Lord? But Lord, our lives are supposed to show that that's true. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us where that's not true, that you would comfort us and encourage us and strengthen us so that our conduct would clarify that we truly are children of the Almighty God. We trust you with our time this morning, Lord, and pray that you would minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read our verses again. Let's read verses 14 and 15 again, okay? Verse 14. We urge you, brethren, one, one, Admonish the unruly. This is what you and I are supposed to do, all of us. We're to admonish the unruly. We're to encourage the faint-hearted. You're to help the weak, and you're to be patient with everyone. You're to see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but you're to see that you always, everybody always will seek after that which is good for one another and for all people, that means one another, all those in the church and all those outside the church. Hmm. Okay. Here's our second illustration. <laughs> without the execution of the righteousness that has been planted to our soul. When we get saved, righteousness has been implanted or credited to our soul. So when, without the execution of that righteousness, our soul starves. The soul starves because it needs nutrition That it's not receiving. So many people, in spite of the fact that they go to church, in spite of the fact that they are religious, are starving spiritually because they are not hungering and thirsting after the right thing that the soul requires. The soul, in order to flourish, requires righteousness, or at least a person seeking and desiring to align themselves in accordance with the will of God. If you fill up your car, a normal car with diesel fuel, (laughs) you're in for a rough ride. The motor of a car is not designed to receive that kind of fuel. You may be full, full of diesel, but you're not gonna get very far. The indicator on your gas meter may show that you're full, but your car will be full of that which the motor cannot receive. You need unleaded fuel because that is what the car has been built to receive. Many of us are putting stuff in our souls that the soul is not designed to receive. And we wonder why, if we're so full, we are not making strides forward. And it's because we are giving our souls that which the manufacturer does not require. The manufacturer, God, the Lord, requires righteousness. That's what feeds us seeking to align oneself with the will of God and living according to the new nature only is what produces righteousness. That's it. Anything else will cause problems under the hood of your life. Can I get an amen? The writer of Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews chapter 13. When he's talking about the church and how they interact with one another and with their leaders. He says, do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God's pleased. And then he goes on and says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with grief. Because if you don't, this would be unprofitable for who, does it say? For you. When we don't treat one another, when we don't treat our leaders properly, it's not unprofitable for the people we're mistreating. It's unprofitable for us who are doing the treating. It's bad for us. I'm going to give us some context of our verses. Go to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. See, we have three periods of time. We have the past, we have the present, and we have the future. Let me talk about the past. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they address the past. Verse 9. Sorry, I'm totally in the wrong book. I flipped too many pages. Verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, church, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That means they repented from their past. They turned. They got forgiveness from the Lord, and they repented. Their past is in the past. Okay, look at verse 10. And you're going to wait for his son, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the wrath to come. We have been set free from our past, from the sin of our past, from the sin of our present, whatever sin of our future. So our past has been dealt with. Our past is forgiven. We're rescued from our past. Okay? What about the future? Go to chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We're not going to read this, but if you recall, starting in verse 13, all the way to the end of chapter 4, and then all the way to verse 10 of chapter 5, He talks about the rapture. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be with the Lord for forever. And that we avoid the judgment because we're people of light, not people of darkness, right? And so now Paul's talking about our future. So he's saying so far, your past is forgiven, your future secure. Okay, two things have been dealt with so far in this letter. Your past is forgiven, your future secure. What are we missing? The present. That's the hard stuff. The present. I love knowing my past is forgiven. I love knowing my future is secure. But what the heck do I do in the meantime? Well, Paul says, let's talk about that. So he says, starting in verse 11, now it's our present. He says, therefore, after he talks about the past, and now he talks about the future, he says, therefore, in the present, and then look at these verses, 11 through 15. Our text is 14 and 15, but I want to pull in verse 11 all the way through 15. Therefore in the present encourage one another build up one another we request of you brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the lord and give you instruction your pastors and your teachers and your leaders you esteem them highly In love because of their work, live in peace with one another. And then verses 14 and 15, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, don't repay evil for evil, always seek good for one another and all people. That's how we're supposed to conduct our present. So our past is forgiven, our future is secure. What about now? Verses 11 through 15 are all, there are 10 things listed there about how we're to conduct our lives in the present. You follow? good stuff so what can the enemy do about our past being forgiven nothing what can he do about our future being secure nothing so where do you think he focuses all of his time and energy in the present our past is forgiven our future secure so he focuses everything on our present, and so then Paul says, "Hey, church, be careful. These are the things that you need to do with verses 11 through 15 because the enemy is going to come after you. And so this is how you're supposed to conduct yourselves in the church because our conduct clarifies who we are. So the enemy wants to mess with the presence, with the present." The enemy wants to mess with God's people so as to mess with God's purposes as given to the church. If he can start messing with God's people, it gets the people out of God's purposes. You see you see, see how that works? So that's where the enemy wants to focus his time is on the present. Our conduct clarifies. Listen, every person here is subject to how we are to conduct our lives. No matter where you go, no matter what institution you enter into, whatever that is, we're subject to how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in that setting. Whether that's at school, there are certain expectations of conduct. At work, there's expectations of conduct. At home, in the airport, on the roadways, in your finances, the IRS, there's conduct that we have to subject subject ourselves to. It's no different in the church, especially in the church. How well do we truly understand how to conduct ourselves within the church? How well are we performing at how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the church? How do we assess that? How do we assess? Are we in the word enough to know if we are conducting ourselves well? well? Are we in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ that will say to us, hey, man, you need to get that right, right? I was in my early 20s when a brother in the Lord, he happened to be a pastor, told me I needed to get something right. And I'm like, he got in my grill about something. And it was, I was not in fellowship with a woman that's now my wife. There was some bitterness between us. And he says, what's that about? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. He says, I don't care. You need to get it right. And I got it right. And 31 years later, we're married, right? Or 31 years, we've been married 31 years. Yep. Amen. I allowed that to happen. He, He admonished me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get that right. I allowed somebody to speak into me. Listen, here's what Paul's saying. All church members, all church members, as well as church leaders, but all church members are responsible to minister to each other. This letter is written to you. It's not written to pastors or leaders. It's written to the church. We're responsible. We have a responsibility to minister to one another. How responsible are you with your faith? How responsible are you with your Christianity? How responsible are you with the calling that God has on your life as Christian men and women? How responsible are we? Think about it. Don't we expect our Lord to be responsible in how he conducts himself? Of course we do. And the Lord expects the same of us. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, the prophet writes this. Behold, the Lord's hand, it's not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Here's the problem. It's your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that that he does not hear. We want God to do his part, and God says, yeah, but you've got to do your part. I I know how to conduct myself. I need you to know how to conduct yourselves. Our conduct clarifies, church. Let me give you some broader context again, some more context of these verses. Starting in verse 11, all the way to verse 15, there's 10 things that are listed there. And you can follow along verse by verse if you want. So look in your Bibles if you want. From verse 11, it says, here's number one, encourage one another. This is our present responsibility as Christian men and women. Starting in verse 11, all the way to verse 15, I'm going to give you 10 things. And verse 11 says, encourage one another. Verse 11 says, build one another up. Verse 12 says, appreciate leaders. That's the third thing. 13A says, esteem leaders. 13B says, live in peace with one another. Verse 14A says, admonish the unruly. 14B says, encourage the faint hearted. 14C says, help the weak. 14D says, be patient with everyone. And verse 15 says, always seek good for others. Those are 10 things in the present that we're supposed to do with our conduct, with our Christian conduct. Here's the list on the screens, really quick. There's the 10 things. Encourage, build up, appreciate, esteem, cooperate, or be at peace. Admonish, encourage, help, be patient with everyone, always seek good. That's a lot to do, isn't it? This is what our conduct is supposed to be like with one another inside the church. Let's look at verse 14, and then we'll look at verse 15. So, verse 14 again. We urge you, brethren, these four things. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with everyone. They start off this verse by saying, we urge you. We urge you. There's an urgency. You know why there's an urgency? There's an urgency because there's a reality. If there were no reality, there would be no urgency. There's an urgency because there's a reality. We simply have unruly, faint-hearted, weak, and difficult folks in the church Can I get an amen? Yeah, I'm one of them, and you're one of them, and the person to your right and the person to your left. We're these people. There's an urgency because there's a reality. But check this out. The focus here in these verses is not on them getting better. That's not the focus here. It's on us, you and I, being better at doing these things. So it's not saying, hey, they're unruly, they need to quit being unruly. They're weak, they need to quit being weak. That's not the focus here. The focus is on those people exist and we have a responsibility on being better at how we conduct ourselves. What a God we serve. Check this out. Go to Mark chapter 10, best book in the Bible. Mark chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, go to Mark chapter 10. Check out this God that we serve. Mark chapter 10, verses 43, 44, and 45. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, it's not this way among you. It's not this way among you. This is how it's going to be. Whoever wishes to become great among you, my followers, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be slave of all. Why? Because even Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. What a God we serve. Our Lord, in all his wisdom, has placed us in an organism called the church where we can carry out all that he's called us to be. He said, right, you've been called to serve, and so I'm going to put you in a place called the church where you're going to get to do just that. You're going to get to serve people that are weak and that that are unruly and that that are hard to tolerate, so that we can carry out what we're supposed to be doing as Christian men and women. It's like, oh, my God, He's so smart. Where else are we going to do it? We have the unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak, and the intolerable. Is what I'm calling that last part of verse 14. Be patient with everyone. What a blessing. What a blessing that the church possesses all those people so we can practice. Amen? Yeah. What a great list. The unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak, and the intolerable. Church. This is the church. That list is the church. And this is a church that he's writing to that is killing it. He's saying that you're doing things with excellence and excel still more. So if they exist in this church, they exist in what church? Every church. You go to any church, and this list describes that church. Here's a question. Pastor, I'm not sure what the Lord's calling me to do inside the church. I'm not sure how to serve. Start with verse 14. Minister to those people in verse 14. The unruly, the faint hearted, the weak, and those that are intolerable. This will keep you busy for, like, forever. Right? You'll never have a lack of ministry if you focus on verse 14. Who are these people? Let's talk about the unruly. What does that mean? The unruly are those that are idle. They're careless. They're out of line. They're disruptive in the church. They neglect their daily duties, and they need to be stirred up to action. It says to admonish them, which means they need to be confronted about their unacceptable behavior. And you know who it says to do that? Who does it say to do that? You. This is not for pastors and elders to do that. This is that you're to do that. We're to be in each other's lives so that we can get into somebody's grill and just say, Hey, man, you got to stop that. Hmm. Think of a soldier. The unruly is the soldier who would not keep rank, but insist on marching his own way. Unacceptable. That's just not acceptable. That's the first one. The second one of verse 14 is the faint-hearted. These are those who are timid. The, the Greek word actually means short of soul. They're, they're, they're running out of soul or energy. They're, they're, they're timid. They tend to become discouraged and despondent more easily than most, perhaps wanting to quit, to quit following Jesus, to quit being part of the church. They need cheering up and inspiration to press on. See, in life, not just the church, there is such a huge unspoken need here. People are so afraid to admit that they're discouraged and that they're weak and that they need help. Hey, I hope it doesn't shock you to know. I get this way often. It just happens. And, I, and, I, and thankfully, I got people that speak into my life that encourage me. Listen, I've never been to a church or heard of a church that has what, what's called an encouragement ministry. Have you guys? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a church that has an encouragement ministry. I head up the encouragement ministry. You know why? Because the responsibility rests on each and every one of us. There's not supposed to be an encouragement ministry that a a few people serve on. Scripture tells us, our text tells us that we're supposed to be the encouragement ministry, that we are the encouragement ministry. All of us are to encourage each other. That's why churches don't have an encouragement ministry, because it's built into the body of Christ by each and every one of you. The third thing listed in verse 14 is the weak. These are the spiritually immature who have not yet learned to lean on the Lord as much as they should. And so until they do, they need strong support from other believers. It says in verse 14, to help the weak. This word help literally implies reaching out and holding on to someone. Sometimes we have to do that with our brothers and sisters. We just hold on to them and they hold on to us. And they carry us through some rough stuff. That's what we're supposed to do for one another. The fourth thing listed in verse 14, it says, be patient with everyone. To me, that's the intolerable. We've got to learn how to be patient and tolerate one another. If we do not exercise patience with everyone, listen, they will become intolerable to us, which causes division in the body of Christ, which is clearly spoken against We are to be people of unity. We're to be unified in Christ. And when we are intolerable towards one another, that causes division in the body of Christ. Patience is derived from love. And it's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our conduct clarifies who we are. One commentary says this. (laughs) I love it. Christians should have the same godly patience... When dealing with troublesome or troubled persons, as God has demonstrated with his dealings with sinful humanity. Wow, that's a tall order. So we might say, yeah, but there's, there are some, there are some, there's gotta be some that are on the short list that are intolerable, that I don't have to be, there's gotta be some. Verse 14 at the end says, Be patient with who? Who? Everyone. Everyone. There's your answer. I want to skip ahead to verse 15 for this same purpose. Look at how the, the language of verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another, and for all people. (laughs) Okay, so here's the question. So how often and to whom are we to conduct ourselves properly? How often? All the time, and to whom? To everyone. You guys passed the quiz. When are we supposed to behave properly? How often? All the time, and to who? And to everyone. Aren't you glad you showed up this morning? Would the Lord challenge us to do the impossible? Would the Lord put in his holy word to do what's not possible for us to do? I don't think so. But that would be unjust. So what percent are we living these things out? Are are we being patient with people 80% of the time? Ah, Eight out of 10 people, that's pretty good. That's a B minus. Are we seeking the good for others 95% of the time as verse 15 talks about? So here's the question. If we do things properly nine out of ten times, that means we're not doing them properly one out of ten times. So what's our tendency? To celebrate the nine-tenths or to confess the one-tenth? What's our tendency? Do we celebrate, I did nine out of ten, Lord? And God's like, yeah, but you haven't confessed the one out of ten that you didn't. Because we're to behave properly all the time and to all people. What What a calling on our lives. Verse 15. See that, oh strong language, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. There's strong language in these verses, starting in verse 11 all the way to verse 15. Check out verse 12. Verse 12 says, we request of you in your conduct. We request of you. That word request can also mean demand. Verse 14 says, we urge you. So we have, we demand of you, we urge you, and then verse 15 says, see that. Make sure. What that means when it says see that is that all of us are on neighborhood watch. This is written to you. You're to see that each and every brother and sister in Christ doesn't pay back evil for evil, but seeks good for other people. You're to do that. Each and every one of you are to make sure that we conduct ourselves collectively this way. And so there's strong language here in these verses 11 through 15. Do we allow strong language into our life and into our walk with the Lord? Do we allow strong language or do we resist the strong language? When God says, I I request of you and I urge you and see to it, do you take that strong language serious? Seriously, do you? Do you take that strong language well? Because if we don't, we don't. But there's consequences for when we don't, when we repay evil for evil, Scripture has a name for that. What does Scripture call repaying evil for for evil? It's a three-letter word: sin. <laughs> when God says don't do something and you do it, it's just called sin. He who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him—that is sin. See, the opposite, when we finish verse 14, it says, be patient with everyone, and then it goes into 15 about repaying evil. The opposite of patience is retaliation in some form. That's the opposite of patience, is you retaliate. Retaliation is not an option for the man or woman of Jesus Christ. But more clearly in verse 15, our conduct isn't simply not to repay, That's one thing. That's the first part. What's the second part? But to always seek good. Oh, well, that stinks. It's one thing to ask me, Lord, not to repay evil for evil, but you're asking me to seek their good? Yeah, that's what I'm asking you to do. We aren't merely to refrain. We are to bless. Do you know the reason this verse is here? Do you know the reason this verse is here? Because our flesh wants to repay evil for evil. If it didn't, God wouldn't put it in his word. He puts it in there because that's our desire. That's our reaction. That's our weakness. When it says in verse 15 to seek after that which is good for one another and for all people, that word seek means to strive and to pursue the goodness for others, even those that have done harm against you. Why would God ask us to do that? Because we can do all things through him who strengthens us. We don't have time to get into these. I want to flash some verses on the screen. If you want to look more into this principle, you got Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. If you want to write that down, there's some, it talks about this as well. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Rome uh, in chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. He talks about it, and then Peter talks about it in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. You can do that on your own. So, with that, our text... Sure seems clear that the church is to see that, right? That's what it says in verse 15. See that you always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Our text is pretty clear, (laughs) right? So we have our marching orders now? It'll be fun to see if you do that over the next 30 days. And when the elders drop by sometime in the next 30 to 60 days, will you be able to prove that you have done just that, that you have strived? and pursued good for others that perhaps are not seeking good for you. Hmm. My brothers and sisters, our conduct clarifies. Our conduct in the church clarifies if we truly are men and women of the Almighty God. Does your conduct reflect verses 11 through 15? That's a huge ministry right there in those five verses that we're all assigned to In the body of Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite up the worship team. As they're working their way up, I'm going to pray. And if you guys need prayer after our service, our prayer team is available down here to to my left, your right. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you so much for your patience with me. I just covet your prayers. Keep praying. Let's pray. Almighty God, I'm grateful to be here, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've convicted me. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that I'm convinced you've convicted others as well about where we fall short. But I also thank you, Holy Spirit, that you comfort us where we're doing well. Lord, this is a a loving, caring, gracious church. And to the degree that we are doing these things, I want to commend this church and challenge them, as you would, to excel still more. Lord, our conduct clarifies. We wanted to clarify that we truly belong to you, that we are men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are conducting our lives in a way that pleases you and honors you and glorifies you. Help us to do that and to excel still more. Amen.